Listener supported. WNYC Studios. You're about to hear a recording of a live radio program. It's called Indivisible. You can listen live and call in four nights a week on public radio stations around the country or at indivisibleradio.com. You can also join the conversation with hashtag indivisibleradio or leave us a voicemail at indivisibleradio.com. Subscribe now so you don't miss a thing. Okay, here's the show. This is special coverage from NPR News and WNYC of President Trump's address to a joint session of Congress. Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Lehrer. The speech is scheduled for one hour from now. This will not officially be a State of the Union address because the tradition is that newly inaugurated presidents don't give speeches called that, but they do give speeches that look like that with all the pomp and ceremony and members of the House and Senate sitting in their seats. And as the White House has released a few hints this afternoon of what might be in the speech, one very tantalizing one is that Donald Trump, of all people, might propose a comprehensive immigration reform bill that would include legal status for people here illegally, but who are otherwise law-abiding. So let's open up the phones and get some reaction from around the country from some of you who either did or did not vote for President Trump as we await the speech. If you um, did, would you feel betrayed? by a deal that included, say, building a wall, but also a path to permanent legal status for people here illegally who are otherwise law-abiding. Call us, Trump voters, at 888-745-TALK, 888-745-8255-745-TALK. Also, Trump voters, tell us in general if you would like the president to reach across the aisle in various ways tonight, or do you feel he best represents you when he's being his defiant, no-compromise self. 888-745-844. Forgive me, I was giving you the wrong number. It's 844-844 is the area code. 844-745-TALK. Forgive me, my mistake. Trump voters, 844-745-TALK. 844-745-TALK. If you voted for Donald Trump, um, and if you didn't vote for Trump, What could the president say tonight that could make you feel better about him? Anything about immigration or Obamacare or anything else? If you didn't vote for Trump, you're invited in to 844-745-TALK, 844-745-TALK, if you did or did not vote for Donald Trump for president. In this hour leading up to the speech, we'll have a variety of guests in addition to your calls. NPR White House correspondent, Tamara Keith will get the first word. Tamara is also host of the um, uh, uh, NPR Politics podcast. Hi, Tamara. Hi. Want to set the scene for us? Where are you? Well, at the moment, I'm sitting in a studio just about a mile away from the Capitol where President Trump will be speaking in a matter of about an hour. Uh, He is expected to speak for as much as an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, So, be prepared. Uh, and and what he's going to deliver, we are told, is a speech uh, about the renewal of the American spirit. The idea is that this will be an optimistic speech. Now, his inaugural address was also in theory supposed to be optimistic, but it, it turned out to be pretty dark. Um, so th- this is a chance for the president after 
five weeks in office to come back, get sort of a reset with the American people, give another big address both to the American people and to members of Congress who he's going to need to work with uh, to get uh, sort of the the tougher parts of his agenda through. Many Democrats, as you know, Tamara, aren't just politically opposed to Trump like they might have been to Reagan or the Bushes. They're repulsed by Trump and what they see as his serial acts of racism and misogyny, and they don't want to normalize him. And you know they use that that word normalize. Do you expect the Democrats to go through the usual respectful rituals of a State of the Union address without incident tonight? There have been uh, some mixed, uh, various things that, that we've been hearing. One, there are uh, several Democrats who usually line up right on the aisle to shake hands with the president uh, as the president comes in. And a couple of them have said that they will not be in their usual spots waiting to shake the president's hand. Uh, female members of Congress are planning to wear white in honor of the suffragette movement, uh, the suffrage move, the women's suffrage movement. Um, of course, you'll remember that Hillary Clinton wore white. Uh, as she gave some of the biggest speeches of her presidential campaign. Uh, And also, uh, Democrats have invited as their guests uh, people who have been affected by the president's uh, executive orders on on both immigration and and the travel ban. So there will be uh, messages in the crowd. You don't necessarily have to have a moment uh, like, as you might remember, there was a a Republican congressman when President Obama was addressing a joint session of Congress about health care. Uh, and and the congressman shouted, you lie. Uh, I don't know that we necessarily should expect something like that tonight, but there there are certainly silent protests uh, that are already in place. And what do you know, Tamara, about a possible immigration reform proposal? Well, so this came up in a uh, in a, a meeting uh, that the president had a lunch that he had with uh, TV anchors, uh, national network TV anchors. Uh, he reportedly said that he was open to uh, some kind of comprehensive immigration reform, possible path to legalization for some people. Um, this. Initially, it was sort of reported as like, oh, my gosh, he's completely reversed his position. Uh, That is not entirely clear um, because we we simply don't have a lot of details. Um, And at least in principle, the president as a candidate and as president has been open to the idea of some sort of change to the immigration system. But he did describe the 2013 uh, immigration reform measure uh, that was passed by the U.S. Senate. Um, He described that as amnesty, cheap labor, and open borders. So presumably he's talking about something different than that. And if he were talking about something identical to that, then it would be a huge reversal. But it's just not clear at this point. And we don't have a a lot of details about how he would propose to change America's immigration laws. All right, Tamara, stay there. Charlie Sykes is also here tonight. Like me, he's one of the hosts of Indivisible, not the activist group, but the evening call-in show we've been doing on public radio stations around the country. I'm usually the Tuesday evening host in that public radio series during this 8 o'clock Eastern Time Hour, if you haven't heard it before. Charlie is the Wednesday night host and was, for more than 20 years, probably the most influential local talk show host in the state of Wisconsin. So good evening, Charlie Sykes. Good evening. And you told me before we went on the air that on this immigration uh, 
proposal or possible proposal. You've been looking at uh, alt-right Twitter. What are you seeing? Uh, they're, they're nervous about all of this because if, if there is, was one constant for the Donald Trump base, it was this hard line on immigration. So um, if you want a little bit of entertainment, watch Ann Coulter's line. A couple of other folks are, are, are suggesting that maybe he just threw this out. It, this was, you know, a distraction. One of the things that seems clear to me is there is no legislation that he's specifically talking about. Uh, there's nobody in Congress that seems to know what he is talking about. And, of course, this is a president who's proven um, very, very adept at changing the subject. You know, had he not come up with this storyline, the danger, of course, was that the storyline out of today and tomorrow would be, number one, that the Obamacare repeal looks like it is crashing and burning, and his budget is dead on arrival. All of these stories, you know, have been lining up about the difficulty that he's facing getting anything through Congress, not just the fact that the Democrats are united in opposition, but all of these deep fissures, and you're starting to see conservative Republicans peeling off. So, you know, in the back of my mind, because I've become cynical over the last year, um, it did occur to me that that if the president wanted to throw a curveball, this would be the perfect curveball. And we know he's become very good at throwing rabbits for the media to chase down rabbit holes yes. when he wants and to they change always do. the subject. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, male Charlie, you're about to talk to a female Charlie in Radnor, Pennsylvania. Hi, Charlie. You're on the air. Oh, Wow. <laughs> Thanks so much for calling in. Oh, my pleasure. So you are a Trump voter, correct? Yes, I am. And what do you think about this idea, at least the little of it that uh, we've been hearing and whatever you've heard of it so far? Well, what I think the president should do is come up with a solution that's not as expensive as Obamacare and that would evidently help out our nation and be able to accept people who are not going to affect our country in negative ways and also be able to help out uh, disabled people and veterans that are on the street. But I don't think that Obamacare specifically um, went towards that sort of area. Mm -hmm. So obviously you called about Obamacare. Forgive my misunderstanding. I thought you were calling about uh, the immigration reform proposal. Uh, in general, health care, Charlie Sykes, is very complicated, as we hear from Charlie in Radnor, Pennsylvania. And uh, Donald Trump has started to express that himself. Yes. Ye yesterday he said nobody, nobody knew how complicated health care was. I mean, who knew that this was going to be very, very difficult? And of course, um, this comes after months of saying how easy it's going to, to be. But the reality is that both the, the substance of the issue and the politics is a little bit like a Rubik's Cube. And as we, we know from watching Washington, the people who are, in fact, handling this Rubik's Cube are not actually men, members of Mensa right now. So um, this is a huge problem for the president. And uh, one of the reasons why, as I suggested before, maybe he, he wanted uh, us to be talking about uh, immigration. But I will say that there are reports now coming out of the White House. It's incredible that there are certain members of that staff, including Steve Bannon, who are concerned about the political price of going to, you know, uh, taking a very aggressive uh, attack on that. And, of course, we've seen what's happened at these town hall meetings, and there's a lot of nervousness about that. Bill in Jacksonville, Florida, you're on the air. Hi, Bill. Thanks so much for calling in. Hey, thanks for having me. And you voted um, for Donald Trump, too, right? Yes, I did. So what you do know, you think from these first reports about the immigration reform proposal that he may come out with tonight in his speech to Congress? 
uh, you know, we learned a long time ago, you can't listen to what may or may not happen, especially considering our current president. You know, he tends to be, he, he's not a diplomat. Um, and I, I would like to see what he offers. I'd like to see the substance of it. And I'd like to see what's available. We do need comprehensive immigration reform in this country, but at the same time, we need secure borders. I mean, would you ask anybody out there, uh, you know, when was the last time anybody went through an airport? Would you be willing to say that one part of the airport is going to be pretty secure, but the other part is going to be kind of, you know, maybe, maybe not, and we'll see what happens, and hopefully no bad people get in or nothing happens? My great-grandparents came here legally. This country was founded on people that came through Ellis Island, went through the due process, and that's what we need to reform uh, to make this country, um, you know, let, let people come here and, you know, seek the American dream, but let them do it legally. There's nothing wrong with that. Bill, how's he doing for you so far as president 47 days in? Yeah, you know, that's a rough one. Um, it's, it's been interesting. I'll be the first one to say I'm, I'm, I haven't, again, I would like to see much more substance. Um, the style is pretty much what I expected. He's a bit of a wild card. He's not a diplomat, but I, I'm okay with that. That's, you know, we have seen what the diplomats and we have seen what, uh, you know, the people that are entrenched in Washington have done to this country. And I'm not, I'm not happy with that. Uh, we're, we're running into debt. We've got our, our values upside down this country. And, you know, when Donald Trump inherited this, you know, we've have the worst, uh, political and social climate I think we've had in, in decades. Thank you for calling in, Bill. I really appreciate it. And NPR White House correspondent Tamara Keith. Tamara, what else are we expect, expecting to hear tonight uh, before this uh, possible immigration proposal just fe- floated in the last few hours sucks all the air out of the room? Yeah, I wouldn't go so far as to call it a proposal. I think it was sort of like something the president said in a meeting with people and with, with news anchors. And and the reality is he has said similar things in the not so distant past when talking to Democratic members of Congress and others. Uh, So it's not out of line with things that he's said before. Um, We are seeing some excerpts of the speech uh, that are uh, floating around uh, on the Internet. Uh, We do not have them ourselves. But uh, what I can say is that uh, that the excerpts that are out there uh, do do uh, aim for that sort of optimism, uh, big thinking um, that, uh, you know, reaching for our dreams uh, kind of language uh, that Trump ha- has sometimes used, um, though, though not always. Let's take a call from Emma in Indianapolis. Hi, Emma, you're on the air. Thanks for calling in. Yeah, hi there. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. You also wanted to talk about the uh, idea of a possible immigration compromise? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure what the recent ideas are that are floating out there, but um, I was saying earlier that um, I am a permanent legal resident. I've been living in the United States since I was four years old. So um, the child in me understands the the notion of um, the dream that is alive in America. Um, I'm obviously not allowed to vote, but I do have political opinions. Um, and one of my opinions is that I am quite conflicted about, um, you know, the compromises that might be taking place uh, to allow um the road to legal citizenship for people who are here illegally, because my mom worked really, really hard to go the legal route um, to get my sister and I to be uh, permanent residents. 
Well, one of the things that's being mentioned is that it might include a path to actual citizenship for the so-called dreamers, the people who were brought here illegally as children by their parents but grew grew up as American and are protected by Obama's DACA order, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, But a path only to legal residency status, no citizenship for older adults here illegally who are otherwise law-abiding. Is that a deal that seems fair to you? Um, yes, I'm, I'm a teacher, so I feel as though um, all students have a right to education, and if there are some of my students that might be in that particular situation, I obviously would want them to have um, a fair and legal right or path to citizenship, and as long as they are law-abiding and um, keeping the dream alive, I appreciate and value diversity, and I hope that more people will appreciate and value diversity. You know, the real irony here, of course, is this was the kind of thing that uh, John McCain and Marco Rubio and Paul Ryan were talking about a few years ago, and of course were vilified by many of the strongest Trump supporters, and uh, I'd be interested to see how they, they respond to that, because I, I think that there was a consensus at one time that if you strengthen border security, that you would create some sort of a path. Now, so far in, the, in this presidency, he has appealed only to his base. Almost every single thing he has done has been to reassure his base to say, this is what I promised to do. I'm fulfilling my promise. This would be the first time, if in fact it's true, and you know, we, ha- we have, of course, seen some of these you know, false signals out there, but if in fact this is true, that he is in fact reaching beyond his base, but also risking the loyalty of his base on an issue that obviously was, was his, defining, you know, his, his defining principle. Now, and Emma, thank you very much for your call. They've been setting themselves up as nationalists. Yes. They've been using that word, both Steve Bannon and Donald Trump. And this refers to the economy. This also refers to the culture. Here's just a few seconds of Steve Bannon's speech at the CPAC conference last week, the Conservative Political Action Conference. The center core of what we believe, that we're a nation with an economy, not an economy just in some global marketplace with open borders, but we are a nation with a, a culture and a, uh, and a reason for being. So, Tim or Keith, do you think they're asking themselves, what role does the speech tonight play in advancing that agenda? If you think it's right to look at it through that lens, you know, uh, pursuing the nationalist campaign that they say they're on, what role do you think tonight's speech plays? You know, I think that they're... Um in in everything that this president has done so far, there there is a mix of both the nationalism and uh, nodding to more uh, traditional conservative values. You know that the pull and push that that you see between uh, Reince Priebus, the chief of staff, who was the the chairman of the Republican Party, and Steve Bannon, who who does come from more of a nationalist ideology. Uh, you know, sort of destroy the system or, or break apart the system. Um, so um there yes um I, other things that the president is likely to talk about tonight that we expect him to talk about uh, health care uh, additional funding for the military uh, back to health care he he wants to uh he's going to call on congress to repeal and replace obamacare but as charlie's talked about uh that is much easier said than done um and tamara i have to jump in because we're coming to a break we'll check in with you later in the hour we'll see what uh, additional intelligence you get in the minutes before the speech this is special cover from NPR and WNYC. Tonight's 
special programming is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' doors. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible. This is special coverage from NPR News and WNYC of President Trump's address to a joint session of Congress. I'm Brian Lehrer. The speech is scheduled for the top of the hour. With us for a few minutes right now is Congresswoman Michelle Lujan Grisham, Democrat from the Albuquerque, New Mexico area, who is chair of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Congresswoman, thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. It's nice to speak with you again. So what are you hearing about these reports that President Trump, of all people, might propose some kind of comprehensive immigration reform tonight? Well, well, the bad news is, of course, we get this information, right, sort of uh, in tweet form and uh, snippets of information. Good news is it... uh, uh, certainly appears in this moment that uh, the president is interested in a bipartisan immigration package or bill that would address many of the concerns that you and I have talked about, both dealing with the 11 million undocumented individuals uh, estimated in this country and the whole other host of immigration issues that we need to address. The question really is, um, what does he think would be compromises made on both sides? And that's information that maybe he'll highlight with a higher degree of specificity in tonight's address. I'm certainly hoping we're going to get more. Let me try one or two of those out on you, because if the reports are true, he might propose a path to actual citizenship for the so-called dreamers, the young adults who grew up American after being brought here by their parents illegally as children. But no path to citizenship, only a path to legal residency for older adults. Is that a compromise you think you could see yourself voting for? Uh, Not today. I mean, I'd like to have more details. There has been a significant dialogue uh, about what we could do about both guest worker programs and about legal status of some kind without citizenship. But uh, I will tell you that the dreamers that we've certainly met with, and while I haven't posed the question because we don't have a proposal in front of us and in front of the Hispanic caucus or the, the tri-caucuses, all the minority caucuses in general for that matter, you know, typically you want to be able to, to address the citizen issue, particularly for so many families who, quite frankly, because we have a broken system have waited years to try to do it uh, in a productive and legitimate manner and have basically been turned away. So that creates, I think, significant hardships. It still doesn't quite keep families in the same context, right? You've got voting folks and and folks who are citizens and those who are not, and uh, that's not very embracing of our um, American values. Mm. But again, so some people have said uh, in the depends. past about proposals like that that they would reject them because they would create a second-class citizen, in effect, those with legal well, residency but not citizenship. Would you object on that score? And that is basically certainly what I was trying to get to. But, yes, yeah, so, I mean, we need to see those proposals. But, but that's why you've seen so many Democratic, including myself, members of Congress, look for pathways to citizenship. 
Uh, and uh, as you know, the proposals that were certainly passed in the Senate were not easy. You know, a 13-year effort. It's still a, a, a heavy lift for folks. But um, uh, I think it's a, a worthy mm-hmm. lift. You want folks to be um, uh, fully participating members of our American fabric and society. Here, here's another one, possible compromise. If the president were to say something like, be unified with us on border enforcement like a wall so the border is meaningful and deportation of criminals, then we'll go with the path to legal status or citizenship for the rest. Is that conceptually a deal you could make? Uh, no, no, I can't make that deal, and I would, I would be shocked if my caucus uh, would do that deal. We think the wall is a waste of money and a very poor idea. The rest of the world is tearing down these sorts of walls. We're talking about building one. It really is an economic disaster for border states. Uh, and doesn't make any sense. I mean, even the the uh, my Republican colleague from New Mexico is against the wall for those very issues. We have a one point seven billion dollar trade relationship with Mexico, and a wall does not do anything to create those sorts of relationships to perpetuate them productively. So uh, that's a that's a huge issue, and I am hoping that that's sort of not the carrot that he's using. Um, and I know you have me, to go. Go back to your seat on the floor in just a second. But the the I basic do. the basic concept, I think, of a deal uh, that Republicans have tried in the past to make, and that probably the president would be coming out with if he's coming out with anything, uh, does involve making the border more enforceable than it has been in the past, because the Reagan. Amnesty, which he actually called amnesty in the 1980s, was supposed to come with protections against a future wave of people coming here or staying here illegally, and it didn't work. So real border enforcement for legal status for people here, no deal? It's going to change an economic climate in Mexico or any of those other Central American countries. If you're looking at preventing those issues, you have to make it easier for people to apply for visas. This would be meaningful compromise on both sides. We have to think about violence and those kinds of issues and what impact this country can have. And quite frankly, if there's meaningful security efforts, if the drones and the satellites and the radios and the cameras and the partial fencing and then increased in border security and border sites and border vehicles, uh, and I would argue in some areas of the border, even militarization, if that's insufficient, then we need to talk about why those tools that we have spent billions of dollars on aren't providing uh, the recourse that uh, the president and others believe is is still lacking in border security. If there are meaningful compromises that talk about making those tools successful to stop nefarious activity at the border and then to promote sound economic efforts, which Mexico has not been, we have not seen the influx. We've seen more of the uh, hostile, dangerous, gang-related issues with the unaccompanied minors. Uh, those are different strategies, and those were comp- those would be compromises I would love to see in an immigration reform package. Congresswoman Michelle Lujan Grisham, Democrat from the Albuquerque, New Mexico area, and chair of the Congressional Hispanic Caucus. Thank you so much. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate being on the show. And this is special coverage from NPR News and WNYC of President Trump's address to a joint session of Congress coming up at the top of the hour. 
I'm Brian Lehrer, and again, Charlie Sykes is here tonight. Like me, he's one of the hosts of Indivisible, not the activist group, but the evening call-in show we've been doing on public radio stations around the country. And also joining us now is NPR national political correspondent, Mara Liason. Hi, Mara. Hi there. I'm happy to be here. I've been really interested in your show, and now I get to be on it. Well, I'm glad you get to be on it. And listeners, you could be on it, too. If you voted for Donald Trump, would you feel betrayed by a deal that included, say, building a wall, but also a path to permanent legal status? For people here illegally who are otherwise law-abiding, call us Trump voters and tell us anything you want to hear in the speech tonight. 844-745-TALK. Also, Trump voters, tell us in general if you would like the president to reach across the aisle in various ways tonight, or do you feel he best represents you when he's being his defiant, no-compromise self? And if you didn't vote for Trump, what could the president say tonight that could make you feel better about him? Trump voters, Trump detractors, 844-745-TALK. You're all invited in. 844 844- Seven four five eight two five five eight four four seven four five. Talk, Mara. You know the last year and a half is littered with moments when people said this is Trump's chance to turn and be presidential in a more conventional sense. Why would he not now go on to smash the convention of the State of the Union style address, like he's done with almost everything else on almost every other occasion? You mean, why wouldn't he just double down on divisiveness instead of reaching across the aisle like most presidents with a 40-something percent approval rating would do? If you want to call it divisiveness, sure. (laughs) Okay. Well, no, I think that's worked for him. It's a polarization strategy that uh, has worked so far. But because they were talking about this speech and describing it as something that would be much more sunny and optimistic and the theme would be the renewal of the American spirit as opposed to that dark and dystopian inaugural address, it sounded like maybe the White House felt that um, his low approval ratings actually were significant and it was time, since he's moving from the executive order unilateral phase of the Trump administration to the legislating phase, he needs to reach across the aisle. He needs to be more inclusive because at some point he's going to need Democratic votes because some things just need 60 votes in the Senate. And the excerpts we've seen of the speech so far, at least the, the excerpts, sound like they are a much kinder, gentler Donald Trump than we've um seen before. So it's possible. Yeah, um, but Mara is right. You know, the, the this is a candidate and a president who has has prospered by being as as divi- as divisive as as possible, playing to that red meat base. And but but he's also indicated that uh, he's so confident in, in in the loyalty of that base that he remember he could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and they would still vote for him. So um, as he himself, but, but put also it. the pivot that she described is exactly right. You know, we are now at the point in the administration where he's going to have to now work with Congress. At this point, in other presidencies, you had major pieces of legislation not just proposed but actually enacted. And as of right this moment, we have no Obamacare bill. We have no uh, comprehensive uh, tax reform bill. We have no stimulus bill. All of it right now is still in a conceptual phase with a very deeply divided Congress. And it, it would be interesting to know whether or not he can he can turn any of that dynamic around. Joan deeply in Homewood. Divided, a- oh, sorry. No. So go ahead, Mara, real quick. Oh, I was going to say deeply divided, not just along partisan lines. No. Divisions inside the Republican Party that a lot of Republicans are looking to him tonight to bridge. And we'll get to um, some of those in, yeah. in just a minute. Yeah. Let me take another call. Joan in Homewood, Alabama. You're on the air. Hi, Joan. Joan, are you there? 
Joan's been very patient, but I think she must have put her phone down for a second. How about Bridget in Atlanta? Bridget, you there? Yeah, I'm here. Hi, you're on the air. Yeah, um, I just wanted to say that I I did vote for Trump. Um, I've always kind of been a moderate conservative. I took a good long look at Hillary, but at the end of the day, when I got in the ballot, I just pressed Trump. I don't know. So um, my big thing with Trump is I well with the Republican side is I do want sovereignty with our borders. I don't want open immigration like that. But I think as a voter and American, I do want compromise because, you know, we've been through this years of government shutdowns and people stopping Obama, the Republicans, and it's just like nothing's getting done. (laughs) So as a voter, at the end of the day, I want compromise. I want to move forward, but I still like that idea of having a controlled border Mm -hmm. or not having people cut in line and those same arguments we had with McCain's proposal back when. So would that be a yes or a no for, let's say, a really tough border, something like his wall on the one hand, but a path to legal status, permanent legal status or citizenship for people who've been here illegally but have not otherwise committed crimes? Deal or no deal? Yeah. Yeah, like, I, for me, at the end of the day, it's a deal. It doesn't have to be a wall because I know that's really off-putting to a lot of liberals out there, and we got to get that, the reaching across the aisle to happen from the other side, too. So I get it. It can't be a wall because this sounds really ugly. But um, I... I think just for these 11 million, they're here, they're undefined. I mean, we got to get them on the books somehow. Mm-hmm. Bridget, th- I'm going to leave it there. Thank you very much for your call. Uh, so, Mara, tell us about this new trouble that Donald Trump is having with Republicans in Congress. Well, it's it's not so much trouble. It's just that they have some very, very tough decisions to make and a lot of contradictions to resolve how they're going to pay for tax cuts. What are they going to do about Obamacare? They want to extract a lot of money from Obamacare to pay for other things like tax cuts, but they don't want to unravel the program to the point where they're blamed for millions of people losing coverage. I think, you know, I know we were talking about immigration, and the thing that's so interesting to me is all of a sudden off on the, off the cuff, the way Donald Trump likes to do things, he kind of lobs this idea out at the anchor lunch, an idea he's talked about before. Uh, we don't know if it's going to be in the speech. But this idea that Donald Trump could be a post-partisan president, somebody who bridges divides, he owes nothing to anybody. He ran against the establishments of both parties. The only program that he's had so far that could do that, that could could get Democratic support, is a big infrastructure program, which supposedly they're going to put off till next year. Mm-hmm. Now you've got this Nixon to China kind of notion that he would propose just after he signed an executive order that could deport millions and millions of illegal immigrants in the country, that he would propose some kind of legalization path, something that up until now, most Republicans in Congress have considered to be uh, a deal breaker because it's amnesty. So he's created a lot of drama. That's classic Donald Trump. Is he going to talk about it tonight or not? We'll see. He's is, now, is it, uh, is if you're watching an, TV, he's yeah. in the car on a very rainy night looking at a piece of paper as if he's... Um, rehearsing. He's in the back of the beast, the big limousine. Kevin in Lakewood, Ohio. You're on the air. Hi, Kevin. Hi, how are you? Good. Thanks so much for calling. Uh, I'm a really big fan of NPR and also Indivisible, so thanks for having me on. Great. Uh, So what I'm calling about tonight is not so much immigration in the sense, uh, I didn't vote for Donald Trump. I voted for Hillary Clinton. I originally was a Bernie Sanders supporter. 
Um, but what I kind of wanted to hear about tonight to kind of, I guess, lessen my woes or burden was about his climate change policy or environmental policy in general. And my question to that was, and to his supporters are, when is it okay to pollute uh, streams and other waterways? And is it ever okay to be doing that in any, in any way possible? So I guess that's kind of what I would like to hear about tonight. Kevin, thank you very much. Mart, expect anything on the environment in any way? Sure. I mean, I think that he'll talk about how we're going to keep our waterways clean and and clean air, but we're not going to have all those onerous regulations that make it impossible for businesses to, to, to make money. You know, during the campaign, he said he wanted to cut the EPA until all that was left was, quote, little tidbits. And, uh, you know, the EPA is only about $8 billion uh, for the year. And if he's looking for $54 billion, even if he completely zeroes it out, it doesn't get him very That's far. That's exactly right. Well, I want to go back to what you said before, Mara, this, uh, that it took an, uh, Richard Nixon to go to China. So does it take a Donald Trump to take on immigration? Does that analogy work with you or is it, uh, or is um, it a little bit strained? I'm, 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 well, a little, I'm a little bit skeptical about whether well, or not Donald well, Trump is. Well, first of all, I don't, I don't know if his party is ready to go there. Right. I really don't. And um, plus he sprang it on everybody, even though this is something that has always been in the back of people's minds. Could it happen over time? At some point, the Republican Party has to do something about its demographic, future demographic deficit in, in presidential elections. But but I there were many Republican strategists and Bill Kristol, first and foremost, mm-hmm. who opposed the Obama immigration reform, even though they agreed with it substantively, they wanted to wait till there was a Republican president so that the Republicans would get the credit for this, you know, the political credit from Hispanic voters for passing immigration reform. That was the political strategy. Um, So Donald Trump, who now has, you know, shown that he's tougher than the toughest person, I was going to say hombre, Mm -hmm. but that would be the wrong Mm -hmm. uh, word, (laughs) on immigration, could do this Nixon to China moment and propose this. I think it's rather early. You'd think he'd want to secure the border first. Um, Can you imagine Democrats? You know, can you imagine Democrats going along with any sort of a Donald Trump immigration plan? Well, that is such a good question because what I wonder is the the, the country is so mm-hmm. incredibly polarized. We thought we were divided during Obama. Right. Nine in ten Republicans support Trump. Nine in ten Democrats oppose him. Complete total division. Has he poisoned the well? with his kind of bellicose, divisive, um, you know, uh, uh, campaigning and rhetoric to the point where the Democrats can't support him even on things that they would like to, like infrastructure or immigration reform. That's a great I really point. wonder about that. Has Does he have no credibility to cross the aisle even if he wants to? NPR's Mara Liason. Political reporter, thank you very much. We'll be listening for you later on and on Morning Edition. Thank you. And we continue with our special coverage of President Donald Trump's speech before a joint session of Congress. Tonight's special programming is supported by Blue Apron, delivering gourmet recipes, pre-selected portions, and fresh ingredients to customers' stores. More at blueapron.com slash indivisible. This is special coverage from NPR of President Trump's address to a joint session of Congress coming at the top of the hour. With me for just a few minutes right now is the mayor of Oklahoma City, Mick Cornett. 
He's a fourth-term Republican mayor and current president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors. Having passed 600,000 residents recently, Oklahoma City is the largest city in the Great Plains Corridor of Oklahoma, Kansas, Nebraska, and the Dakotas. Mayor Cornette, thanks very much for coming on with us. It's an honor to be with you. Yours is one of the only major cities in the country to vote majority for Donald Trump. What do you think the people of your city are hoping for from his presidency? Well, you know, it, it's it's not as if, you know, there, there's one solution to all of the world's problems. But in general, I think there's there's still a lot of, of surprise that, that President Trump is actually doing many of the things he said he was going to do on the campaign trail. I think his victory illustrated, you know, there's just a lot of anger and frustration with government. We have a lot of business leaders who, who think they're overregulated. Um, you know, and, and certainly those regulations are passed on to consumers. Uh, technology's advancing faster than people can, can handle it. And uh, I, I think people are frustrated in general, and President Trump tapped into that frustration and was able to secure the presidency. You've been mayor for long enough that you were there for part of the Bush administration and all of Obama. Was the difference between their Democratic and Republican approaches noticeable in their impact on Oklahoma City, per se? Well, I would, I would definitely say there was a left-of-center approach during the Obama administration. Um, but I will say, um, you know, from a United States Conference of Mayors point of view, um, cities uh, had a lot of attention during the Obama administration. It was prioritized um, by the uh, administration, and, you know, we had a seat at the table in a lot of really important decisions. Um, we didn't seem to get quite that level of attention in the Bush presidency, and so far um, we haven't gotten it from the Trump presidency, although with the new attention to infrastructure forthcoming, we're hopeful that we'll be at the table for that very important conversation. And we'll see if that is forthcoming. Um, given your, your answer right there, let me ask you this. The early version of the first Trump budget includes a massive defense spending increase, no cuts to Medicare or Social Security, and a big tax cut. And so I wonder, as a mayor and as president of the U.S. Conference of Mayors, would that mean you'll have to hold more bake sales to fund your public schools? <laughs> or what do you think that would mean for your city and for cities in general? Well, uh, specifically, our community development block grants are very important projects in, in every city and, and state in the United States. A lot of them have some discretion at the local level, so we're able to use them uh, as, a, as kind of an opportunity to fit a specific need in our cities. And I think if you added up a list of how those dollars are used all over the country, you'd see some very impressive programs. We would hate to see them go. Um, additionally, you know, the, um, the, the, the infrastructure uh, aspect of all this is still a little puzzling. We hear, you know, people in Congress saying they don't have the money to pay for it. Yet President Trump, you know, was was um, emphatic during the campaign that we were going to have an infrastructure program like we've never seen before. And so I, I think how that conversation plays out here over the rest of 2017 is going to be of great interest to, to mayors and people that, that love cities. I was looking at some population stats, and if I'm reading them right, Oklahoma City had almost no Latinos in 1950. Today, Mexican-Americans make up 14% of the population, plus another 3% other Latinos. Is immigration an issue for you in the sense of more immigrants than the city's economy or culture can successfully absorb, in your opinion? 
Well, we have a, um, a, a growing Hispanic community in Oklahoma City. Uh, inside the city limits, I'm going to suggest there's probably 18%. And in our inner city school district, which is the, the largest district in the state, uh, it's probably 40 to 50% Hispanic. So we do have a, you know quite a bit of the Hispanic culture in our city. Uh, we want everyone to feel welcome in Oklahoma City. And um, we're keeping an eye on making sure that we, you know, fall in line with the federal government's, uh, you know, rules and regulations regarding immigration. But it's it's one of those issues that's that's difficult to categorize because, you know, I don't know how many countries there are in the world, but it almost seems like the United States has a different immigration policy with each one of those countries. I think in a post-9-11 world, there's no question we've got to secure the border. We've got to know who's coming into this country. Um, so it, it's real easy for anybody, I think, from the outside to, to have a strong opinion about this issue and to, and to say it should be, you know, moved in one direction or the other. But I think immigration is very complicated, and there are national security issues at stake here. Last question. There seems to be an ideological bent to shift the conversation nationally from left versus right to nationalist, as the president and his advisor, Steve Bannon, would put it, nationalist versus globalist. For you as a Republican mayor, as you know, a longtime Republican elected official, does that have meaning to you? And is that uh, something that you think would be good, bad, or neutral for the country? Well, I don't know that I'm in a position to give you, you know, some great answer to that question, but this is a very patriotic community. Um, I do think the United States' position on the global stage has retreated over the last 10 years. I'd like to see America's dominant role in world politics and in the, the defense of, of liberty uh, put back into place. And if nationalism means a step in that direction, I would think most people in Oklahoma City would say it's a step in the right direction. Mr. Mayor, anything I didn't ask you about that you'd like to say? Well, every day with this president is a is a is a is a new day, and um, um, you know we're we're as poised as everyone else trying to see how this unfolds. Uh, but you know, Oklahoma City is like a lot of other places around the country. Um, when you're when you're changing something, not everybody's going to like it, and uh, and I think that the Trump administration is going through some of those issues. Oklahoma City Mayor Mick Cornett, thank you so much for your time. You bet. And this is special coverage from NPR News and WNYC of President Trump's address to a joint session of Congress. I'm Brian Lehrer. If you're just joining us, and again, Charlie Sykes is here tonight. Like me, he's one of the hosts of Indivisible, not the activist group, but the evening call-in show we've been doing on public radio stations around the country. Trump voters, non-Trump voters, we're taking your calls on what you'd like to hear in this speech, which starts around the top of the hour, 844-745-TALK, 844-745-8255, 844-745-TALK. And NPR White House correspondent Tamara Keith is back with us. Tamara, since you were on earlier in the hour, I gather you have some speech excerpts. I do have some speech excerpts now. Um, And one interesting thing, now, of course, these are excerpts, so we never know uh, what the whole speech will say. But one interesting thing that I'm noting here is that he talks about uh, defeating ISIS, but he doesn't use the term radical Islamic terrorism, which is something that he used repeatedly throughout the campaign and sort of dared Democrats to say. Um, He 
uh, talks about wanting to defeat ISIS, uh, describes some of the uh, behavior of ISIS, describing it as a network of lawless savages that have slaughtered Muslims and Christians, men and women and children of all faiths and beliefs. And then this is interesting. He says, we will work with our allies, including our friends and allies in the Muslim world, to extinguish this vile enemy from our planet. Um, That is a slightly different rhetoric than we heard from candidate Trump uh, in the past. Uh, But uh, he is President Trump now. And Charlie Sykes, what else are you seeing breaking in these minutes before the speech? Well, that was an interesting point because uh, my, uh, my my colleagues over at uh, MSNBC were reporting that uh, General McMaster had really pushed the president not to use that term, radical uh, Islamic terror. Uh, he's got a long, you know, long track record of saying that would not be helpful. Uh, but at least one of the reports suggests that uh, the Trump then overruled him. So, but that's a very interesting thing to see because that would be a rather dramatic departure. Well, and of course, these are excerpts as prepared, right. not necessarily as delivered. So you you really never do know uh, what what any president will say when they get up at the lectern. But especially this president, um, who who often has remarks on a teleprompter, but then uh, sort of feeds off of the audience and and riffs. Here is Joe in English, Indiana. Joe, you're on the air. Thanks for calling. You're doing a great job, Brian. We appreciate your work. Thank you, sir. So you're a Trump voter, I see? Absolutely. And what do you want to hear tonight? What I want to hear is what I expect to hear, and that is that we must be a country of law. I expect the president to say we must have and enforce laws in as much as the previous occupant of the White House had no regard for the law. He just did what he wanted to do with executive orders, despite the fact the Constitution would prevent that. So, Joe, in that context, would it be a deal or no deal for you for stricter border enforcement, whether through a wall or some other means, but allowing a path to legal status for people who've been here illegally but have otherwise followed the law? That's a very important question, and I believe that the conservative and constitutional point of view has been all along. Let's secure the border and get the law straight, and then we will be willing to rationally and reasonably talk about Mm -hmm. the matter of those who are already here. So if Trump were to propose something like I just described, which it's being reported that he might— Um, you would not feel betrayed, it sounds like. Well, I don't think that he would, because he has said all along, we have to secure the border and defend the country against an invasion of people we don't really want. And And they do consider it an invasion. They talk about it in terms of sovereignty uh, quite frequently. Joe, thank you very much. Let's go to David in Greenbelt, Maryland, who I think I'm seeing was a Trump voter but has buyer's remorse. Is that right, David? Yes. (laughs) That's exactly right. Tell us your story. Trump would get in there and kind of set things up, and we would have a Democratic Congress and Senate because, uh, you know, frankly, Obama was uh, the best president in my lifetime, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, Trump getting in there, I mean, let's not fool ourselves who Trump was. 
you know, and everybody knew what, what, what or should have known we had there, and, and I did. I just never expected the Senate and the Congress to go Republican. Oh, you, then, wanted, you wanted continued divided government. You wanted checks and balances. Well, checks and balances, right, exactly, exactly. You'd have, uh, you'd have Trump in there, things up like crazy, and then you have, you know, the, the, the voices of reason, you know, <laughs> putting things together. You actually have some action going on. But what we've got now is, a, is an absolute fiasco. I mean, I'm embarrassed about it. So, yes, <laughs> voters remorse. <laughs> David, thank you very much for your call. Well, if the pollsters got it wrong, David really got it wrong. He thought there would be a Democratic Congress with the President Trump. Um, Tamara, do you expect Trump to reach across the aisle in any meaningful way tonight, other than this possible uh, nod to the head for some, nod of the head for some kind of comprehensive immigration reform, like um, maybe some kind of big infrastructure bill? And will the Democrats deign to applaud if he proposes one? Well, uh, one thing that's in the excerpts here, uh, he says that he uh, wants to work with members of both party to make child care accessible and affordable. Of course, that's something that uh, Democrats and, and uh, including Hillary Clinton and others uh, have really uh, pushed for. Um, so that 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 is something. But I think largely what the president is is going to do is is push this sort of uh, view of, of nationalism of you know, if if we're all Americans, then I'm talking to all Americans. And therefore, uh, you know, I'm reaching across just by talking mm. to everyone about our shared American you, values. You, you know, on this nationalism, which we were talking about before, Charlie, uh, which we usually think of in terms of kicking Mexicans out and keeping Muslims out, there is supposedly a big government liberal economic shoe to drop with Steve Bannon's nationalism, that big government infrastructure and social welfare programs actually go with his nationalist identity politics like they do for Le Pen in France and some other European far-right nationalist leaders, but we haven't seen it yet. No, and a lot of conservatives haven't really grasped what you just pointed out, that a lot of these nationalist policies require a bigger, more activist a government that will micromanage part of the economy. And so, yes, this is a radical departure. I, I do think it's interesting, you know, this whole question of, you know, the kinder, gentler Donald Trump, which, of course, the country could probably use, the reaching across the aisle. But just as a caution, since we have spent so much time watching Donald Donald Trump, that whatever he says t- tonight, whatever, you know, goodwill he might engender, you're only one or two tweets away from going back to where we were, mm-hmm. you know, five, five minutes ago. So, you know, one speech read from the teleprompter does not change who he is or what his presidency is about. Greg and in Albuquerque. Co- Sorry, Tamara, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, it's for members of Congress from his own party who are going to be there, who are already in that chamber tonight, that that is a real concern. The concern that, sure, he, he gets up there and he says that he wants the... Uh, Obamacare repeal and replace yep. that that the House leaders are talking about, and then he tweets something or says, "Well, you know, actually, I think we should just let it fall under its own weight." They have whiplash. Uh, there's, yeah, there's a lot of risk for congressional Republicans, especially, and and congressional Democrats, not knowing whether they really truly have a partner. Greg in Albuquerque, you're on the air. Hi, Greg. Oh, thanks so much for the show and for taking my call. Thank you. Um, as I said earlier. Um, I'm willing to have him show his worth tonight. Um, you you and, did. I take it you did not vote for Donald Trump. I did not, 
And um, I'd like to take the opportunity to kind of coin a term and put it out there. Uh, through the Donald, we all know what a birther is or was. And I'm going to call myself a worther. So I'd like to see him show his worth. Um, not everything the man has to say is wrong if he can get it accomplished. You know, and if he's got the intellectual worth and the moral worth and the social worth that he claims he does, maybe he can get something done. But then again, it's a guy that I think greatly exaggerates everything, including his net worth. Greg, and if and we can't believe him on the most fundamental of things for himself, money, how do you believe him to get really anything done? Greg in Albuquerque, not a Trump voter, but a worther with still an open mind looking forward to tonight's speech. Thank you very much. I want to take our last minute and a half or so, Charlie, because for you as a longtime Wisconsin talk show host, you have some unique knowledge that we can exploit here for our listeners. You know Paul Ryan well, and he's had a complicated relationship with Trump's Very. status. It's complicated. Calling one of Trump's campaign statements the textbook definition of a racist comment, then refusing to appear with Trump during the last month of the campaign after the Access Hollywood tape came out, et cetera, et cetera. From your knowing Paul Ryan for so long, what do you think his strategy is for negotiating the relationship going forward with this latest wrinkle being that Trump may not um, be for any Medicare or Social Security reform, which uh, Paul Ryan is think, thinks is vital for the future budget of the country. And, 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 that's, and that, of course, is the key to this whole Trumpian bargain that, that he's making, which is that, that uh, look, you know, he's a policy wonk. He wants to get tax reform through. He wants to get the Obamacare reform through, um, the repeal and replacement. He was never going to get that under Hillary Clinton. And the bargain is... If I just look the other way, if I just, you know, you know, swallow down this or that, I eventually at the end of the day, I'm going to get much of my agenda through. And therefore, that will make those compromises justified. The problem is what happens if you don't get it? You know, what, what happens if you don't get the tax reform? What happens if you don't get it? What, what if you take all these bullets for him? Um, you know, you make all of these these sacrifices, and at the end of the day, nothing happens. Because the big government side of his nationalism might actually win the day. You cannot square that circle. You can't. Charlie Sykes, thank you very much. Hey, my pleasure. Tamara Keith, thank you very much. You're welcome very much. And thank you all for listening this hour. NPR coverage of the President's Address to Congress continues in a minute. I'm Brian Lehrer. If you like The Indivisible Podcast, rate and review it and tell your friends. And thanks for listening.